the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. So, uh, in the last uh, last time that we met, we, from my point of view, we kind of covered and wrapped up a topic that we had spent quite a few gatherings on, uh, because we wanted to get into the detailed answer uh, in something that often is presented as very complicated and problematic. And we have repeatedly said that it is actually, uh, the topic itself should not have been seen that complicated and that difficult. But the problem is that because people misunderstand some of the points related to it, or they have the wrong assumptions when they get into the topic, it leads them to all sorts of very, very problematic conclusions. And we said that some of the worst things that we see happening with this topic, so the topic obviously is the problem of evil in the world. The biggest problem is that either people completely reject belief in God because they can't explain this uh, problem or this question, they, they can't reach a conclusion that is satisfactory to them. Or they try to kind of circumvent it and say, I'm going to believe in God and I'm going to park this one. I'm going to believe in God and kind of half answer this on the side. And I have other reasons and other you know, ways of, of keeping my belief in God. And even people, you know, it's, uh, it might be surprising, but there are people who have actually written books. I've read books of people who have written the whole book, to prove the existence of God. And when they talk about the problem of evil, they consider that a point against God and a point for a believer and not a disbeliever. So this, if they were to attribute, they were attributing points on probability. And in that book, they said, you know, this one goes to God, this one goes to the disbeliever, depending on what the topic was. When they came to the problem of evil in the world, they said, well, this one goes definitely to the atheist because we really don't know why there's so much evil in the world. Okay, so, and this is coming from people who are writing the book to prove the existence of God. So this is why we said the topic is problematic. We know that there are a lot of issues who, uh, of people who misunderstand it, and this generates problems in their belief system. And I think we spent some time before, you know, the season of Muharram, we spent a little bit of time on the topic, and we answered it in the classic way that the majority of people who study uh, introductory and intermediary lessons of beliefs, they, they study it that way. And in short, in summary, so please understand this, because I'm going to quiz you at the end to make sure everybody understood them. The majority of the people addressing this issue, they address it by saying that there are no absolute evils in the world. Evils are usually relative. And if you take time to understand how they are relative, then you will see the good in it. And they stop there. In itself, that's not a problem. That's valid. It is true that there are, no, there are no absolute evils in itself. The problem is when even a believer, even as a believer, but non-believers too, that is kind of, unless you have spent a lot of time thinking and reading and studying this topic, you don't know how it, what does it really mean in your life when you're actually going through problems. When someone you love is dying with a disease, when you are being prevented from the things you really want in life and you feel like you're not getting them, you, when you have real issues in life, I'm not sure to what extent the argument that uh, this is not an absolute evil, you know, how convincing is that? How does that help you go, out, go through your life dealing with these challenges, dealing with these problems? Is it enough? Or does it lead to people saying, what kind of world is this and what kind of God is this, that I have to deal with these problems and these difficulties, these challenges, these issues? The, the world is filled with evil. And if there was a fair and just God, then I wouldn't be dealing with this. Right? That's the, so that's why I came back to it as a problem. And I said, this time we're going to go into a little bit more detail. And we're going to put rules in place. And as I said, like the reality is this should be, you know... Uh, a full-length book, 
with a lot of explanation and it should be longer than the time we've spent on it. But we're trying to keep this in summary form so that those of you who are interested in the nuances and in the philosophical aspect of it, you, have, you at least know where to look and what to look into. And those of you who are looking for the overall answer, that's what we've done. So we've given you the overall answer. In summary, we said that once you apply all the rules, and once you keep in mind the problem of the difficulties and challenges and you know the issue the issue of test, the issue of tribulation, the reality of being tested and challenged in this world. Okay, and we spent a whole lecture on this. The philosophy of tribulation or the philosophy of testing in Islam. Once you keep that in mind, then we said, any evil in the world needs to fall or is going to fall into one of these categories. So today we're going to recap those. We're going to provide a few verses to give, that give specific examples and maybe add a couple of examples from our daily lives. But I think, inshallah, it should be clear enough. I think last time we went a little fast. We're trying to finish and a lot of people were very tired. So, Okay. So we said, when we look at the problem of evil in the world, we said that the evils in the world fall in two categories. So when you're thinking about it or when you're discussing it with someone, don't mix them up. One way to, to view evils, one reason something is evil, is that it is morally wrong. The other reason something is viewed as evil is that it's harmful. Something may be harmful, but not morally wrong. For instance, someone punishing someone. It's harmful, but it's not morally wrong. Okay, it's actually morally right. You reestablish justice, let's say. And the opposite. Something may be, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, something may be morally wrong, and yet not really harmful or at least not directly harmful in someone's life. Okay, and we're going to give a couple of examples on that, on that. But we said each one of these needs to be treated on its own. Okay? So the first thing is, and we're not going to repeat everything we've said, when we look at an evil wrong, can it be done directly by God? Short answer, no. The nature of God, the type of God that we explained exists and that we believe in, does not do moral wrong. Moral wrong as in something is either foolish, so random, no reason, you just do. So the type of God we believe in does not do anything random. Or, to use the philosophical term, anything foolish. Okay? Or to use the Arabic term so that you have it in mind, safaha. Or la'ib. Okay, so the Quran, for instance, says, وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضُ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا إِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ And elsewhere he says, بَاطِلًا Elsewhere he says, so he, it's saying, وَمَا كُنَّا لَاعِبِينَ Okay, what, what is it saying? It's saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not do all of this for, it's not a plaything. This is not an act of randomness. This is not an act of foolishness that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just decided randomly, ah, oh, let me create something here. It's not like that at all. There's a reason, there's a wisdom, there's a, a purpose for all of this. Okay? So when we say something is wrong, either morally wrong, either it's an act of foolishness, that's a moral wrong. So we're saying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not do that. The type of God we believe in does not do that. Or... It's an, a type of injustice. So either the injustice, and we're going to mention some examples, either the injustice is going to be one of those examples, or it's going to be harmful. As soon as it's harmful, that falls under the second category that we're going to address soon. Okay? So first category. Can it be God? No. Then who is it that's doing the moral wrong? When I see moral wrong in the world, where is it coming from? It has to be the agent, the one actually doing the act, the moral wrong, is anything but God. So what's the issue? The issue then becomes, why did God allow them to do it? 
So when you frame it this way, if you say, why did God allow someone to do a moral wrong? Don't forget, we're not talking about harm yet. Okay? Because some things are both harmful and a moral wrong. Some things are only a moral wrong. For instance, ignorance. For instance, foolishness. Someone feels arrogant. Someone feels selfish. That is a moral wrong. I may be a selfish person without harming anyone. I may harm someone and I may not. Another example. Someone may have a short temper. All alone in the middle of the forest. No one is getting hurt. But they have a short temper. They're very, they get very angry, very impatient. That's a moral wrong. Any moral philosopher who looks at this will say, this act or this state is a moral wrong. Are you harming anyone? No. But it's morally wrong to be angry. Okay. So why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow these moral wrongs to exist? And as we said, this is not really the big problem human beings have. It's not the moral wrong that people are concerned with. So we're going quickly over them. Okay, the moral wrong. Only a philosopher would spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, why is there ignorance in the world? And why would a human being want to be lazy? And why would a human being be selfish or short-tempered or, or, or? They're valid questions, but they're not practical. So the majority of people are not really concerned with those. So we're going through them quickly, okay? So why is there moral wrong in the world? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you frame it this way, it's a problem. So you have to frame the question, you have to say the question in a different way. You have to say, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give the power to do moral wrong to someone? Okay, and this is what we answered. So we said, first of all, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives someone power to do something, that in itself is not a bad thing. So I'm trying to spin it into something bad and say, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow someone to do a moral wrong or be in a state of moral wrong? If I say it this way, it's not the right thing. What I should be asking is, why did Allah give them the power? And if I say that, then I have to think, is it really all bad? Because that implies that it's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them evil. Yeah. But is it really that? The power that God gave them, is it the power that makes you do bad? No. It's the power to do. That's the power. The power to act and to act freely. That's what He gave you. Now, if you choose to use that to do a moral wrong, He allowed you to. But don't blame God. This is what He gave you. He said you can use it or in this or you can use it in that. You can use it to do moral wrong, and you can use it to do moral right. And then we added a layer to that. And we said, and he didn't keep things objective and neutral. He gave you all the reasons to do the moral right, and not to do the moral wrong. So he gave you a conscience, so you're aware. Every human being knows right and wrong instinctively. He gave you reason, and reason can objectively tell this is moral wrong and this is moral right. And he gave you a code of law called religion that tells you stay away from that and go towards that. And then he added to all of that, let's say that's all theoretical. Then he added to that. He said, and if you do this, this is how I'm going to punish you. And it's going to be an awful punishment. And if you do this, I'm going to give you all this reward and it's going to be amazing. Okay, so why are you still doing the wrong? So, while he gave you the power and he gave you the freedom, he added a layer that should always make you lean towards doing the moral right and not doing the moral wrong. And then if we go back to the things we said before, the power in itself becomes a good thing. Giving you the power and giving you the freedom to choose, that becomes a good thing. You are not like a chair. So you've been given something more than, a, let's say, this other being, which is a chair, has. But we're spinning that into something negative. So what, what are you implying? That you wish you were like the chair and you can't choose? You're just an object? By definition, God chose for you to be a living entity with freedom of choice. 
which means you have power, which is the purpose of your existence, to see what you're going to do with the power. You can't say, because of all of that, this is evil. It reminds me of something that sometimes when you when you discuss with the, or there, there are debates between people who really want to put everything that they have in the theory of evolution and this is not the topic but sometimes that's, uh, these are interesting arguments so I'm mentioning it and I'll go back because it's the same type of argument you start to recognize them it's the same pattern they'll tell you for instance that there's a there's a type of disease, for instance, that w may cause you to become paralyzed. Imagine that there's a type of disease that may cause you to be paralyzed. And someone will come and say, yeah, and this is an evolutionary advantage. Because if you're paralyzed, it means you can't get hit by a car while you're crossing the street. Therefore, that's an evolutionary advantage. Do you understand? Would anyone say it's better not to have functioning legs than to have legs and possibly be hit by a car because you're crossing the street? That's the argument. So let's take, keep that pattern in mind. Let's come back to freedom of choice and the power. Is it really better not to have the power? Not to have the freedom of choice? Or is it better to have it and try to use it in the right way. Is it better not to have the legs or to have the legs and use them in the right way and don't get hit by a car? Which one do you prefer? Right? That's the idea. So if someone says, why did God give you the power to? Well, if you decide to run into the traffic with your legs, that's on you. That's not why you were given the legs. But you decided to run in the traffic. So blame yourself. You decide to use the power despite everything that has been given to you not to use it in that way, you've decided to use it in that way. Well, don't blame God. Don't blame the power that was given to you or to someone else or the freedom that was given to you. That's a purpose and it should be seen as something good. That's your distinction and your merit, your value over objects who, that don't have that, right? Or other beings that don't have that. Okay. So, moral wrong. Examples of moral wrong. Did I have any? Anger, fear, hatred, impatience, selfishness, arrogance. All of these, someone can be in a state of any of these. Ignorance, selfishness, impatience, anger, hatred, vengeance, without actually harming someone. This is why we say they're moral wrong. Harm has not yet happened. But in themselves, these are, are, are all moral wrongs. And do they exist in the world or not? They do. Do we blame God for giving the power to be those things? No. You have to blame the agent who is deciding to use it in that way. Okay? That's the short answer when it comes to moral wrongs. And as I said, the majority of people are not really concerned with this type of evil. Those are not the types of evils that, you know, keep people up, up at night and make people reject religion and reject God. It's really the harms. The things that they can feel in their lives are harmful. So now let's go to evil as harm. A couple of points and then we go into the four categories that we gave. We said when you look at harm in the world... Either the harm is being done, it's by logic, right? You see something happening. What did we say? Moral wrong. Either it's done by God or something else. In the case of a moral wrong, it cannot be done by God. Because God is not that type of entity that causes moral wrong. So it must be another entity. So the question is not, why does God do moral wrong? That doesn't happen. It becomes, why does God give the power and the freedom to do moral wrong, and that's what we answered. Now we come to evil as harm. Either done by God or something else. First 
can we say the same thing that we said about moral wrong, about harm, harm done by God? So do we say God is the type of entity that does not cause harm? Can we say that? We can't say that. We can't say God is the type of entity, the type of being that does not cause moral wrong. That we can say. That type of evil cannot be caused by God. What is caused by God is that He gave power and freedom to other entities to do it. If they choose to do it. And that is the test of their existence. The purpose of their existence. When it comes to harms in the world, things that harm people, things that harm creatures, does God do evil in this sense? Yes, He does. Does God do acts? Does He act in a way that can harm an entity, that can harm a human being, that can harm an animal? Can, does He or not? Yes, He does. So right away we're in a different category. And this is where it gets very problematic because it's not a theoretical exercise like the moral wrong. This one I attribute back to God. And we read the verses of the Quran that clearly say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one doing. So even as a believer in God, fine, I'll, I'll believe and I'll submit to God and I will continue to believe in God. But why? That's the question we're trying to answer. That's why we spent so much time about this topic of tribulation and test. Okay? And now we're adding the other layers because that's the most complicated one. The other parts of the answer, they're easier to understand, I think. We said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does harm His creatures. Okay, so we're using very blunt language, okay, to make it very clear. Does God harm creatures? Does God do acts? Does God act in a way that can harm a creature? Yes. Why? We know that it's not because of injustice. Because it's not that type of entity. God is not that type of being that causes injustice, that would be a moral wrong. And we know it's not out of foolishness. It's not a random act. Because God is not that type of entity that causes harm through foolishness or injustice. Then why? And here's where we said there are four possible answers. There are four reasons why God may harm a human being or a creature. And the act can be one of them, can be two, can be three, or can be all four. For all four reasons, you're being harmed. Okay? So how do we reach these? The long justification of it comes from the rules that we explained, that we're not going to repeat now. So we spent time explaining eight or nine rules, and we presented three axioms before them. Okay? Keep those in mind, or go back to the lessons online, and you'll have those. If you want to recap them quickly, I'll recap them, but maybe after, to save time. There are four reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may harm someone. And it's not an injustice, and it's not foolishness. Reason number one. If you remember the rules that have to do with the point of your existence, and being tested is a good thing, and being tested requires that you are harmed, then it should not come as a surprise to say the first reason why God harms someone or does something that the person sees as a harm is because he's putting them through a test. That's it. As simple as that. If I stand in line with five other guys and we run for, we run a marathon... That's harm. That's really tiring. That's exhausting. That's harm. It's a very light harm. It's not like getting your leg cut. But it's harm. But if there's a purpose on its own, if you look at it just that way, you would say, this is harm. No one would do it. Oh, but it's in a, you have to look at the bigger picture. Why are you doing it? Is there a purpose behind it or not? 
okay, well then, it's harm, but there's a bigger purpose, there's a greater purpose, and then this becomes not a bad thing. So while it's harmful, it's not evil. While it's harmful, it's not bad. It's actually a good thing to run the marathon. It's a good thing for your health. It's a good thing socially you're going to be recognized. You may win a prize at the end and make money, or you become, I don't know, a part of an ad campaign and you make millions of dollars as a result, or whatever. If there's, it's part of a bigger picture and it becomes worth it, then no one's going to say that running the marathon is harmful. Even though it was tiring, you may get injured, it's exhausting, so on and so forth. So, the reason, number one, the reason why you're being put through a harm may simply be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you. That's it. Nothing else. You are being put to the test to see, do you pass or do you fail? And that's it. Now I can add that in the afterlife, of course, there can be a reward and, and, and. But just looking at it this way and based on what we said, this is the point of your existence. The reason why you were created in this world is to be tested. And we said that the test is not something that happens to you once in a blue moon. Once every 10 years, something is sent your way and you have to deal with it. The test is ongoing every second of your life. You may be aware and you may not be aware. Everything that you wish you had and you don't have, that's a test. And everything that you have, that maybe someone else is wishing they had and you don't even realize that you have it, that's also a test. And Allah is seeing, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with your health and with your time and with your money and with your mind and with your emotions? That everything you have is a test. Okay, so that's reason number one. As simple as that. It is a test. And we read enough verses of the Qur'an and we read enough stories and we know Islamically this is the reason why human beings are created. It's to be put through a test. Now let's add a second layer. A second reason. Second bucket. So you are being harmed. You're a human being and you're being harmed. One reason, one possibility is you're being tested. A second possibility is that you have to go through this harm to reach a benefit. In the first category, there's no benefit. The benefit is just, depending on how you handle yourself, you may or may not get a reward, and it stops there. End of story. In the second case, you can easily identify a harm, and you can easily identify a benefit. Here we spent a little bit of time distinguishing between two types of benefits. We said some benefits are material. It's a benefit in this world. And people concentrate on those benefits. And I even gave you an example from the life of Prophet Dawood last week with that woman who came to complain about God that he took away her rope. And she ended up becoming very wealthy as a result of losing that rope. Okay, that's a material benefit. And I said, this is not the real benefit when we say, this is the easy one that everybody concentrates on and in fact, they're missing the point when you concentrate on that one. When we say Allah is harming you to give you a benefit, we're not talking about the material benefit. You may get a material benefit. But the real evil that we're talking about, the harm that we're talking about, that gives you a benefit means a spiritual benefit. You cannot get to that benefit except through the harm. When we started these gatherings months ago, we gave an example. We talked about one of the ways you believe in God. We said it's the instinctive way. And you really see that if a human being is in a really tough, difficult situation. So the, the verses of the Qur'an, sometimes they talk in general. They just say when someone is in a very bad difficulty. And sometimes they give a specific example that those people of that time really understood. So for instance, it said, when they are in a ship and they are at sea 
and then the storm starts, and they feel that they're about to die, suddenly they start begging Allah, imploring Allah, or crying out to Allah, save us. And then the verse continues, when they reach land safely, when we make them reach land safely, the majority of the people go back to disbelief. That's how the verse ends. Let's put that second part aside. The first part, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made those people go through a harm. The harm is they're about to die. They're about to lose their lives. There's a storm. They're afraid. The benefit at that moment, the benefit, those people went back to God, which is the point of their existence. Now, you may not see that in your daily life because we're too distracted by our material world. But that was the point of your creation. You're not going back to God on your own. So what did God do? It's like the parent who takes the child and forces them into the bath. They're one year old. They really don't like to go into the water. It's cold or there's soap. They don't like the soap on their eyes. Whatever it is. You have to take them and despite their dislike of it, you have to do it to them. Because there's a benefit that comes out of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took those people who are not going back to Him on their own. They have this one life that they have. Nothing is making them remember God. What does He do? He puts them in a situation that uh, suddenly they remembered God. And they begged Him and implored Him like He wants them to. Khalas, at that moment, if they died at that moment, they're saved. They're believers in God at that moment. They're not getting there on their own. So what did he do? He created a situation to bring them back to where they're supposed to be. He brought them back to belief and attachment and praying to God at that moment. But he didn't make them die. They asked to be saved, so he saved them. But the problem is the Quran says, but the majority of people, they go back to disbelief. Okay, so even when God pushed you all the way, and this, I'm, I'm insisting on this point so that we remember it whenever we're going to go through real difficulties in our lives. This is the point of going through the difficulty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is creating a situation that maybe for someone else it's not that tough. But for you, you're now being stretched to your limit. Because most likely, you are not going back to God on your own. So what did he do? He now created a situation that in your own little limited world, your insignificant little world, this is the most you can handle. Fine. This is what you can handle. Allah will never give you more. He'll create a situation that if you were to die at that moment, you are so attached to God in that moment that you'll go straight to heaven. You're that pure. You're that strong of a believer at that moment. So don't forget that moment when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it go easy on you again. Or that too will pass and you will be fixed and life will go on. Even if it's something that hurts you emotionally, it's going to go through. You're going to go through it and time will heal it and everything is going to back, go back to normal. Don't forget that moment. If you forget that moment, that's it. It's as though you went through the harm. You went through the difficulty for no reason. It was a complete waste. You are no different. If you let go of that moment, you are no different than the person who was on the ship and who disbelieved when they reached land. So, the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may harm someone, reason one, just a test. Reason two, Allah is forcing a benefit on you. But on condition that you see it and you don't lose it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make some people... Allah will make some people lose their health. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make some people lose their money. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make some people lose their loved ones. The point of this is that those things are supposed to make you attached to God. If it attaches you back to God, you understood the purpose. You did not waste that opportunity. You're going through the harm and you're getting no benefit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created that because He knows there's a benefit. 
He's creating the max, the situation that gives you maximum possibility of going back to him. So don't miss it. And again, don't concentrate on the material. The material comes and goes. Don't concentrate on what material gain I may get from this. That's there. It's always there. Something that looks like it's bad is good, and something that looks like it's good is bad, and that's always there. That's just life. Concentrate on your relationship with God. When you're going through the harm, do you feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you a sign and bringing you closer to Him or not? If you're not, you're missing the point. When you lose a loved one, when you lose your money, when you lose your health, and, 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 these are the big problems, the big harms in life. If you go through these things and you're not feeling God pulling you to Him, you're missing the point. So does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harm people? Yes. Why? One, to test them. Two, to give them a benefit that they could never reach any other way. That's one way. That was a negative way to look at it. There's a positive way to look at it. There are people who are always trying to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most sincere and the most pure way. It's not a shortcoming on their end. They're really trying all the time and they're really good. The problem is that the context they're in does not allow them to show just how good they are. So if things are too easy, that's the example of the employee who is really good. He can do the job of a director where he is, but he's working as a clerk, as an entry level. Well, so long as you don't put them in the director job, you'll never see them at their full potential. If you take Steve Jobs and you give him a broom and you tell him clean up the floor, you'll never see what Steve Jobs can do. Right? There are people, they are good. They are attached to God. They are sincere. But they're not in a situation that forces them to show just how good they are. Just how far they're willing to go for God. So it's only fair that God gives them that opportunity. But from our perspective of human beings, we're going to say, it's harm. The only way for them to show how willing they are, how far they're willing to go, how attached they are to God, is to go through a difficulty. It doesn't work if things are easy. There's nothing to prove. There's no sacrifice. There's no something for something else. You're not giving something. And this is what you see in the stories of prophets, for instance. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests Ibrahim, He tells him, you've been waiting for a son your whole life, now you're an old man, and finally, I gave you a son, Ismail alayhi salam. And not just any son, this amazing son, that He promises him, halim. He tells him he's going to be a forbearing son which means he's incredibly patient. Forbearing is very strong. He can handle any difficulty. And he was the answer to Ibrahim's prayer that he wants someone to continue with his mission. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hinting to Prophet Ibrahim that his son is a prophet. Or he is good enough to be a prophet. So he's not just any son. One day he's good and one day he's crazy and driving his parents nuts. And... No, no, no. He's the perfect angel son. It's Ismail alayhi salam. Prophet Ibrahim had Prophet Ismail and then Ishaq alayhi salam. Ishaq came later. There's a good gap between them, maybe 10 years or between 10 and 20 years, maybe 13 years difference between them. So this is Prophet Ismail alayhi salam just about to start, you know, his teenage years. Maybe he's 10, 12, 13 years old. This is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, okay, you have this son, how much do you love him? Okay, I'd like you to sacrifice him, please. Why? It's a harm. You have to go through the harm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see some. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never ask me to do that. One, I probably can't handle something like this. And this test is not, does it work for me? Okay? 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not test me with this. He tests his prophets with this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests someone like Imam Hussein alayhi salam with Karbala. This, it's not because Imam Hussein is not attached to God. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a situation to allow the person to show his maximum. Otherwise, it's not fair. The person can come back and say, well, you didn't give me the chance to show you what I would do for you. Create the situation and you'll see how far I go. And what he can handle and what I can handle are obviously very different. So this is going to happen in my life too. And it's going to happen in your life, each and every one of you. You are going to be put in situations that will stretch you. If you see it, if you see that this is not about this material world, this is the test, this is your chance to shine, no problem, bring it on. And I will show you just how far I'm willing to go. I understand that this is the only way I will reach a certain benefit. Which is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised Imam Hussein, Right? When Imam Hussain saw the Holy Prophet in his dream, right before going to Karbala, the Holy Prophet told him, and God has reserved a spot for you in heaven that you can never reach except through this martyrdom. Which kind of implies that Imam Hussain didn't have to die this way. And the truth is he didn't. And he would still be a good person. No issue with that. But he would not get that spot in heaven. There's a spot that is only reserved to him, and this means to all of us. There are spots reserved to us depending on how we handle ourselves in every test. You want that spot? Then don't forget God. Don't forget the test that you're going through to get to the benefit. Don't look at the harm. Don't look at the difficulty. Look at the spot waiting for you. If you look at the difficulty, you shut down. You're going to say, it's too difficult, I can't handle this. This is too much. With everything going through Imam Hussein and Karbala, did he say it's too much? The more his companions and his family members were dying, the more his enemies we have in the maktal, his enemies would say, the more his face would become brighter. Why? Because they, they know and the Imam knows what's going to happen. And he knows that, yes, when you look at it materially, it looks it's awful and difficult and harm and tragedy. And, but that's not what he's looking at. He's looking at the benefit. And all of his companions were like that. They did not look at the harm. There's a benefit. But you have to keep your eyes on the benefit. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the second reason... He puts people through a harm is to reach a benefit that is not accessible any other way. Sometimes it's in the negative. People are stuck. They're in a rut. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a condition to pull them out. That's one way to view it. Another way to view it is to turn it into a positive and say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a condition for you to shine. He's given you your golden opportunity. You want your promotion? You want the special place reserved for you only in heaven? This is how you get there. This is your test. Okay? The third reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests someone is that sometimes there are people who are harmed and they have no test to go through and there's no benefit for them. So let's say, for instance, a little child. They're born into this world, they get sick, and they die right away. So you can't use the first argument, which is the first bucket. There is harm, and it's a test. That's why you're created. It doesn't work for the child. They're not responsible yet. They're not mature. They have no decisions to make. So that doesn't work. And you can't say there is a spiritual benefit that you will get from the harm. Again, the child has no spiritual benefit. They're not responsible. You can only get the spiritual benefit when you make a choice. You look at the options and you choose the one that is right. That's how you get the spiritual benefit. That second category. 
So in the case of the child, there's none of those. So what happens? So the reason why the third category exists, it's for someone else. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing the person, category one, by harming someone else. Which should not make sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this kind of relationship in the world. So he gave you parents and siblings and children and friends and you're emotionally attached to them. So if they are hurt, you are hurt. And you're hurt in a way and they're hurt in a different way. But you're hurt. It's harm. So you are being harmed either as a test, one, category one, or two, as a benefit. Which means what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that by harming them, they, He is bringing you back to Him. This is how you go back to God. is by losing a mother or a son or a best friend. Okay, so there is harm to someone else as a test to you. There is harm to someone else as a harm that can give you a benefit. Okay, so that part is handled. But what do we do about the person who just suffered, the victim? And here's where we have to add that layer. We have in our narrations and in certain verses of the Qur'an, but clearly in our narrations, that there is a reward. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not do anything without just reward. And if you go, there are a lot of narrations. One of the narrations, for instance, is when there are people who die and they are younger than the age of being mature, in the ruwayat we are told, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them reward until they are satisfied. Okay, so He will keep giving them until they are happy. And we have this, by the way, for other people too. But we have it specifically for... Because it can apply to anyone. I'm just using as one example, let's say a child of the age of two who goes through something like this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of them. Okay? So that one is covered. What about the other person? The other person is, it goes back to the other categories. One, it's a test. Or two, it's a test with a benefit. Even though it's not happening to you, because of the association with whatever, whoever that person is, there's a harm to you. Okay, that's the third category. The fourth category, and as we said, don't look at these categories as just independent buckets. Something can be two of them, or three of them, or four of them, all of them together. The last reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harms someone is that it's a punishment. You have actually done something, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishes you right now. So the harm that you're going through is part of your punishment. But the punishment itself can be just a punishment. You did something wrong, Allah punished you, end of story. Or you can view the deeper meaning. It is a harm, and it's true that it's a punishment, but it's also a test. And it could also be a test with a benefit, even though it is a punishment. So one, the fourth category. It's a punishment based on something you have done. And the verses of the Qur'an are very clear about this. And in fact, for all of this, as a good reminder, if you read enough ruayat, if you need read enough narrations, it seems clear that the majority of the harms we suffer in our lives are a result of our direct sins. And this is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about or don't want to think about. So they, they prefer, and it's more comfortable for all of us to think, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just testing me. Yeah, it is a test. But it's not a test that comes out of nothing. It's a test because of your sins. That you've deserved this specific test. There's a punishment here. You have to keep in mind that you've done something wrong. So while you're going through the test and you want to be all proud that you're carrying yourself properly through the test, 
Also remember that you need to be asking forgiveness for whatever you did that caused this test to come your way. Because it probably should have been something else that came your way, but this is what you got. And is this out of God's mercy or out of God's wrath? It's out of His mercy. Because most likely, you're not going to be punished with the same thing in the afterlife. You're getting it out of the way here. As we have many, many narrations that say that someone who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is going to clean them from their sins by taking away their money or their health or their loved ones until their sins are cleansed. And those who don't go through enough difficulty in this world, they may go through the difficulty at the moment of death. So their death is extremely painful. And those who do not go through enough difficulty during the moment of death, they go through difficulty when they're in the grave. So the time they spend in Alam al-Barzakh and the grave is extremely difficult. All of this, why? As a punishment, so that when you get to the afterlife, the majority of your sins have been cleansed. But here when it happens, you still have a choice. When it's happening, you can do something about it and turn it into a benefit. And pass the test. And remember that this is probably a punishment resulting from sins, resulting from wrongdoing. And we have so many narrations about basically every act that you could think of There's probably a narration that tells you if you do it in a certain way, what happens? And if you do it in another way, what happens? I think we have all heard someone who you want to have a good life with your children? Well, you better be very, very good with your parents. The more you are good with your parents, the better your life is going to be with your own children. The better life you want to have in general, the better you have to be with your mother specifically. The more you want to have a long, healthy, beautiful life, the more you have to be good with your family in general. Surat al-Raham. So you can see, for each one of these, you do the opposite, there's going to be a punishment. You're not seeing it. Someone is dying at a very short age. Everybody says, oh, what a shame, he was so young. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. And this is why, where we said, we can't really apply it. But it's certainly giving us a lot of clues to run our lives, to manage our lives. I can't say so-and-so died because he's not good to his family. I don't know. Maybe he died because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to test his parents, as we said, and he was a really good person, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to get him out of this world before he starts becoming a bad person. I don't know. That's all possible. But we also know that there are things, as soon as you do them, you have created a chain effect, a domino effect, that will mean you're going to be punished with this. You do this, you get punished with that. Someone comes to Imam Ali salam and he tells him, I used to pray Salat al-Layl. And right now, I can't pray Salat al-Layl anymore. And we have multiple narrations about this. Just one of them. About Salat al-Layl. One of them, Imam Ali salam tells him, that is the effect of a cause, of a reason. And the reason is, you're committing sins during the day. If you commit sins during the day, you're going to be unable to pray Salat al-Layl. He gives him a kind of a criteria. He's telling him, you commit sins during the day, you're not going to be able to pray for whatever reason. It's like this man is really good intentions, right? And every time he tries, it's not working and he's not really sure. So Imam is telling him, Allah is punishing you. It's a punishment that only someone like him will feel. If I'm someone who doesn't really care about standing in the middle of the night or waking up 30 minutes before Salat al-Fajr and praying for 10 minutes, if I don't care about that, I don't see what the harm is. But someone who understands how special that is and how it changes your life, then you realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing me. He is closing a door in front of me that should be open. This is a door of, to give me benefits and blessings and that could change my life. The ruwayat that talk about Salat al-Layl, they say if you want anything in this world, pray Salat al-Layl. And if you want anything in the afterworld, pray Salat al-Layl. Okay. So, someone who really understands this is going to understand that 
No, no, there's a punishment here. Allah took away something from me. What am I doing that I have lost this privilege? That I shouldn't have lost. I used to have it before. Sometimes people say, you know, something happened to me. I just feel these difficulties in my life or my, my daily things are very heavy. Nothing is working out. And a lot of people, for instance, they will openly say or they will think with themselves, well, I used to do Ziyarat Imam Hussein every day and I, I haven't done that anymore. Ah, okay, so there's a real direct correlation there. Nothing is lost. You do good, there's something that happens. You do bad, there's something that happens. Anything that you touch in a certain way is going to have a certain effect. But I think for the majority of us, it's just a lot more comfortable not to think about that. Because otherwise you're always going to be in a state where you know that you've done something and you could be better. But the, that's the whole point. And if you read the verses of the Qur'an again and again, like it's clearly saying, we're making you go through this difficulty as a result of what your hands have done. In multiple verses, there's four or five verses in the Qur'an with that expression. And elsewhere, of course, this is like, it could be applied at the individual level, so each one of us, and I think it's more important to start there, and it works as a society too. When the verse, for instance, says, corruption has appeared on, in the sea and on land as a result of Same thing. What the hands of people have done. And why does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do, you know, this sin or this wrong, so He gives it all back to you? No. Allah just makes you taste it. He doesn't give it back to you. You can't handle it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He were to punish people and treat them justly based on the wrongs that they do in this world, on this earth, nothing would remain in this world. So He's keeping that for the afterlife. But here, so that he makes them taste some, to taste, not even to feel it fully, just to have a taste of some of what they have done. And this is where we can start thinking about all the diseases and all the issues in the world and the famines and the, all sorts of climate problems and everything could go in there. Could it not be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to taste some of what we have done? And so someone can look at that and just say, we have done wrong, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is punishing us. We're bad. And that's it. Or, you say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is causing this to bring us back to Him. But the, po the point is, you have to see it. And you have to do something about it. You have to wake up. You can't just stay at the superficial level and look at the harm or look at the difficulty and just think that's it, it stops here. No, it doesn't stop here. It stops at your awareness and going back to God. And as we said, the point is always the spiritual. The material comes and goes. The material can always, someone can always say, but why did God do it this way? Couldn't He have done it that way? Yeah, of course He could have. But the point is not the material. So you have to keep your eyes on the ball. You have to keep your eyes on the purpose. The purpose is your spiritual purity. Right? It's always that. It comes back to that. I just wanted to see if... Um, yeah, there's a lot more that we can say here. I think it's... Uh, this one is a huge topic, and inshallah I'm keeping it for one day when we have more ethical lectures and ethical discussions. We talk a lot more about this. There are some fascinating books and fascinating topics to talk about here where we explore the the results of our actions in this life and the next and inshallah we'll talk more about that but there are books there's two books written that there are full of of these kinds of ruayat thawab al-a'mal and haqab al-a'mal these are two books that are inshallah we'll at least summarize them and go through them they're amazing books and then we see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for instance what happens if the money that you make comes from haram. Well, there's a punishment right away. And that money will not stay. There's no blessing in it, as they say. So something is going to happen that will force you to spend that money tenfold. 
because it came from somewhere haram. There's no blessing in that money. Whereas someone who gets that money from halal, then that money is it's as though it amplifies or it blesses them. So what you can do with that one dollar and what someone else who takes their money from haram can do with the dollar is not the same thing. Okay? And the same thing can be said about food. If someone eats haram food versus halal food. The moment you start consuming haram food, then it starts having direct repercussions on you. And the more you do that, the more it causes problems. For instance, it hardens the heart. You want to be good. You want to feel the presence of God. You want to cry for Imam Hussein. Nothing happens. Your heart is dying. It's becoming hard. It's becoming like a rock. The Quran gives that example again and again. It says their hearts have hardened. Well, one of the ways you harden the heart is consuming haram. As soon as you consume haram, the heart starts to harden. So you need to cleanse yourself. And that takes time. You do whatever you got to do. You want to fast, you want to pray. That needs to leave your system. And you ask God's forgiveness. You're cleansed from that. You don't suffer this punishment. And even if sometimes you want, you really want, you're sincere, but you're still doing the haram. It's a cause and effect. You can want all you want. You have put an obstacle there. Right? When you read Dua Kumail every week, when it says, Oh God, forgive me those sins that prevent my prayers from coming to you, from the acceptance of my... It means you're still doing something that is an obstacle there. You can pray to God all you want, but you, you've kept the obstacle in place. You haven't removed it. So there's a very clear cause and effect. So one way to view all of this is to say these are punishments. So when we look at harms in our lives, these are the four big categories. And in a lot of cases, there's more than one of them happening at the same time. So does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harm? Yes, He harms. Does He harm out of injustice? No. Does He harm out of foolishness? No. So why does He harm? We said, let's summarize it and give a, a synthesis, a simple overview of this by saying, either He's harming to test, either He's harming to test to give a benefit that is not accessible any other way. This is your special place in heaven that you can only get to through that type of harm. Or he is harming for the benefit of someone else, but the victim is going to be rewarded. There's compensation for all their troubles. Or the last category, there's a punishment. But the punishment itself is also out of mercy. And you can use it for spiritual benefit. So this is all when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done the harm himself. And then we have, what if God did not do the harm himself? We go back to the same two, to the same categories as we said before. When we said moral wrong, Allah does not do it himself, but he gives the power to someone else to do it. So sometimes the harm that you see in the world is not done by God directly. It's done by someone else. So if it's done by someone else and Allah allows them to do that in the system of Allah, in the legal code of Allah, in the religion of Allah, someone can harm someone else this way, whatever it may be. Let's say there's a war that happens and you defend yourself through that war. Well, Allah is saying you can do that. So there may be harm that results from this and Allah has allowed it. So it falls under the categories that we already described. If Allah allows it, then it is as though Allah did it. Same thing. And the other category is if Allah allows you to do it, but He tells you you're not allowed to do it. So obviously this is part of the test. And it's the same thing as giving you the power. And as we said, giving you the power does not mean you need to go and do the harm with it. Go do good with it. And the freedom of choice, that's the test itself. And with this, we have covered all the evils that people can think of in the world. At least the ones that we consider to be problematic and the ones that we don't know how to resolve, they should always fall in one of those categories. And as we said, and that's why we spent so much time on this 
category of the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does himself because these are the ones that people struggle with the most. Right? Why does God do the evil? Why does God do the harm? Well, these are the reasons. And anything who, everyone or anyone who understands the points that we've explained until now, they should agree with us that those harms are actually good. And they should not be presented as though they are evil. There is always a greater benefit that comes out of them. But human beings need to see it and to seize the opportunity from it. Okay? So with this, inshallah, we conclude the topic of the problem of evil in the world. And the next time we meet, inshallah, we start a completely new topic. Okay?